Have you ever had great plans? I mean, really great plans. Or just a thought of the way things were going to turn out in the next season of your life, only to have them completely fall apart. I mean, it's like, it's like having a dream that you're driving your car and you lose your brakes and it just out of control and you crash. It wasn't that you did anything. You didn't fail to execute, you didn't do anything wrong, it just happened. Out of nowhere, your health got bad, or you lost your job, or you got into an accident, or a relationship went completely south and fell apart. And things all of a sudden went from looking bright, or at least normal or tolerable, to being hopeless. The dream you once had, the plan you had, turned into a nightmare, and all of the sudden, life seemed to be one disappointment and one inconvenience after another. And now, at this time in our country's history, if you're listening to this a few years down the road, you're like, what's he talking about? We're in coronavirus season right now. You realize you are not alone Maybe despair and uncertainty is all around you. And on this Easter Sunday morning, you probably, maybe more than any Easter Sunday morning, need the title of our message, A Vision of Hope. If you're watching or listening today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you are here. I also want to say a special shout out to, or give a special shout out to those who say they're Christians, but at this time in their lives, they're full of fear or full of anxiety. I'm really glad that you're here today, too. I mean, I know how it is. You, you flick on the TV and you just go on the internet and you hear all the positive message gurus on television. And you're just struggling to get on board. You're just like, I'm not feeling it. That, that's, that's not my world. And you start to wonder about things. Am I the only one, one person who wonders about this stuff? How is it that their dentist and their hairdresser is still open and you can't even get a roll of toilet paper? I mean, what's going on with that? You need a friend. You don't need someone to pretend like everything is fine. You need a friend, one who understands, and one who has had a similar type experience, yet still ends up having some hope in God. And that friend's name is Ezekiel. Now, if, if you're a Bible reader, you're like, Ezekiel? That is a dark, dark book of the Bible. Well, I'll tell you this. It's a strange text for a strange Easter. Ezekiel lived in a very, very dark time in Israel's history. It was a time of literal national death in the nation of Israel, and it was a time of great hopelessness. But it wasn't always that way for Ezekiel. He was a young man training to be a priest in Jerusalem. He had a great career ahead of him. Well, what would it would be like? Well, no doubt he'd have a nice wife, he'd have a few kids, a nice place to live, two cars in the garage, 
All right, two horses in the garage. He'd have the latest iPhone version. And he would have the respect of many in the community. While those things were going good for Ezekiel, his country was a complete mess. What was the problem? For a long time, the people of Israel had worshipped Yahweh, the true and living God, and the pagan gods from the surrounding nations at the same time. And did you know this, friends? That God is very, very jealous for the affections of his people. And the prophets had warned the people about this. It had been going on for over 100 years that they had been warned about this. As particularly at this time, the prophet Jeremiah, who lived at the same time as Ezekiel, was a little bit older and ahead of Ezekiel. He warned them, but you're not going to believe what happened. The people didn't listen to God. I know you can't believe that could ever happen. But that's exactly what happened. You see, you would have thought they would have learned. The country at this time was split between the north and the south, and about 20, 25 years earlier, uh, the northern part of Israel fell to the Assyrians. Now it's the Babylonians that are coming for the south. They're coming for Jerusalem. They're coming for where Ezekiel lives. And so when Ezekiel, who was a priest and a prophet, priest just initially, then a prophet, was about 25 years old, he was captured by the Babylonians and taken down to Babylon in what's known as the first wave of captives. Let's date stamp it, 598 B.C. So almost about 600 years before Jesus is born. About five years after he got down to Babylon as a captive, Ezekiel began writing during what then became the most turbulent time in Jerusalem's history. They would say they were unprecedented times. And so things really are going crazy. Remember, he was in the first wave, but it's not like the Babylonians and their king Nebuchadnezzar said, well, that's enough. They kept coming, and they kept coming, and they kept coming. But the people of Jerusalem were arrogant. They were so arrogant, they were so full of pride they thought they were too big to fail. Remember for many years they used to say about our country that we thought the ocean in between would protect us. Now, nobody talks about that really much anymore. For them it was this. The people of Jerusalem said, hey, our city is built on top of a big hill. Nobody's going to be able to come up this hill because we'll just shoot them on the way up and they can't beat us. Okay, that's fine that people can't get in. So what will they do? They'll surround the city, and you won't be able to get out. Because if you try to get out, they'll shoot you. And if they can't beat you in war, eventually they'll starve you out. But there was another thing that they had, forgetting the fact that they had allowed the pagan gods into their land and into their city, they said this, we have the temple here in Jerusalem. And the temple was equated with the presence of God. And so they said, God, man, he lives in Jerusalem. And he always saves us. He's not going to let anything happen to us. But their pride and their forgetting God was their undoing. And you know how a lot of them forgot God? 
by going to temple. You know, you can go to church and you can actually not be aware of God at all. You're singing songs, you're mouthing the prayers, you know them by heart. You're like a robot and you're not even thinking about God. You're like, oh, it's tomorrow's Monday, you know, another week, we gotta see what's gonna happen. You're not even caring about God. But in their pride, what they thought was completely impossible. There was something they never, ever, ever in a million years dreamed of, kind of the way we are right now. Nobody saw this coming. As they were surrounded by the Babylonians, as they didn't seem to really care that much about God, God packed up his bags and God left. I mean, they couldn't believe that, that anybody would even talk like that. But that's what happened. Here's the vision that the Lord gave Ezekiel when he was down in Babylon, Ezekiel 10, 18. Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold or the door of the temple and stood over the cherubim. Those are angelic beings. And when the Lord left, this is what happened. King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came with fury. Jerusalem, destroyed. The temple, destroyed. Stuff stolen from the temple. A lot of the artifacts. More captives were taken. There was death and destruction everywhere. There was no hope of returning to their land or to a normal life. They wondered, would things ever be the same again? Does that sound familiar to you? Is that something we're talking amongst ourselves? Will things ever be the same again? Now, Ezekiel's a long book from chapter 33 to 48, and we're, our text is going to come from chapter 37. Uh, over a 16-year period in captivity in Babylon, Ezekiel writes as the Lord gives him visions in these chapters. Though these visions are visions of better days, of days when God's great mercy and compassion is shown to his people to restore them and to be with them again. In fact, I would make the case to you that when God packed his bags, he actually went down to Babylon because guys like Ezekiel is down there still writing. A time when God's honor would be restored to the nation. A time when the pagan gods would be kicked out of Israel. And that pretty much actually happened. But Ezekiel is older now. And he has experienced tremendous heartache as a captive in Babylon. Yet, to him, and then what he will tell the people, and what we will read about, God shows up. Why did God show up? Because he said he would. Why did God show up? Because if you call upon him, though it may seem slow to you, he always shows up, often in a most unexpected way. In this day of hopelessness and despondency, God reminds Ezekiel 
uh, of an important fact about himself. You say, what is that fact? That no one or nothing is beyond the power of God. No one, nothing, is beyond the power of God as the Lord himself said in Revelation 21.5, the second to last book of the Bible, behold, I make all things new. And that includes you. That includes me. Well, let's jump into our text, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1. Now, remember this is a vision. And here's the important thing to remember about visions. A lot of times people in apocalyptic visions in the Bible, they want to pick out every single little detail as to what it means. That's not really what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to look at the symbolism, yes, but we're supposed to look at the main theme or themes that God is pushing us towards. So Ezekiel 37, uh, 1 and 2 says this, The hand of the Lord came upon me. This is Ezekiel talking. And brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. And it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass them by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. So here, God takes Ezekiel in this vision out to this valley, and he looks and he sees a bunch of bones. They're human bones. They're human remains. They're from a battle. And, and Ezekiel sees them, and God's like, all right, let's go for a walk. And so they're walking, and they're walking. And they're walking, and there are these bones everywhere. All that is left in this battle scene is a collection of bones scattered right where the people fell in battle. He says there were very many. There is a great loss. So devastating was it, it appears there's no attempt to even bury anybody as these bones are just all over this valley. And he says that these bones, not only are there many of them, not are they all over the place, but they're dry. They're very, very dry. So they've been there a while. You know, most of us, when we think about God or want to have a time with God or go on a retreat or go to a church service or or something like that. Most of us are looking for that mountaintop experience, right? We want to go up to the top of the mountain. You know, yeah, yeah, of course, you always have to remember, you always have to come down to the real world. But you want to go up to the top of the mountain. And there's some people who act like that's all they have. Like, I only just, my life is just one big mountaintop experience. I find that a lot of those people really wilt when times get rough, but I don't want to pick on them today. Ezekiel is not on the mountaintop. Ezekiel is down in the valley. And that is the valley of despair. The valley of these dead, dry bones. It seems to me that the bones represent Israel in exile. And their hope in the midst of all of their troubles has totally disappeared. There's no life in them. Interesting thing about hope. 
You know, any good counselor, what's the first thing they'll really try and do with you if you're really down and depressed or whatever, they'll, if you're going to be in a, a counseling for a long time, is they will try to establish hope. But hope is something that we really don't think about very much, do we? Until we don't have any. When we don't have any, that's when we really begin to see how hopeless life can really be. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred, some versions say hope delayed, makes the heart sick. So a heart without hope is sick. And that's what a lot of us have to battle right now. That's what Ezekiel has to battle right now. He's a prophet. The people are looking to him for hope. But he's in this valley. There's no bodies, just bones. The heat of the sun has destroyed the bodies. Sometimes we talk about that of the difficulties in our life. It's just so much heat, and we end up dry. Their bodies are decaying. The animals of prayer have scavenged them for every piece of meat that they could get off them. The time of their captivity is moving very, very slowly. God told them 70 years, but one day at a time. I gotta be honest with you. For me, life goes by at 150 miles an hour. Not the last month. The last month, it actually seems to be slowing down a little. And as it's going very slowly for them, what's happening to these people is what's happening to a lot of people that we know that their hearts and their souls are like bones, like these bones. There are many of them that have become very, very dry. In verse 3, Ezekiel, uh, the Lord turns to Ezekiel and asks him a question. And whenever God asks you a question, perk up, listen. You know, Jesus, a lot of trick questions Jesus asked. So you got to listen carefully. And he, verse 3, the Lord, that would be, said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, I know you like to think you'd be the person who would go, Oh, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. But let's imagine if it was anybody else but the Lord. Can these bones live? You're like, no way, man. No way. But Ezekiel is smart. His mama didn't raise no dummy. He answers very, very carefully. He says, so I answered, O Lord God, you know. Perhaps the Lord is challenging uh, Ezekiel in the dry bones of his own soul. Hey, Zeke, what do you think about all this? Y you think I can fix this? Do you, do you think that, that I can do this? And the very question our nation is asking right now, can we recover from this? Ezekiel could have easily said, Lord, we're done. We're done. You leveled the place. You let them level the place. And now we're captives down here. It's too late. And men, while many would say that we believe God can do it, we wonder, does God want to do it? Because here's the reality that, that all of us have to face at some point in time in our life. God wants people to turn to him, not away from him. 
And God will often do whatever it takes because he has an eternal view of life to get people to turn to him. Sometimes even going to extremes to get people to look up. You know, I I conduct a lot of different services all during the week, and I do weddings, I do funerals. The absolute best questions about God himself come at funerals. Far and away, as people begin to think about eternity, as people realize that ultimately they are going to die. We are not going to escape that unless the Lord returns soon. I like to joke with people here. Sometimes they say, I'm going to buy life insurance in case I die. I'm like, well, you don't have to worry about in case you die. You will. So maybe you want to invest in that. And a funeral brings that out in people. Many of us would say, oh, yeah, of course God can do this. Come on, man. No, no, no problem. I'm, I'm full of faith. But Ezekiel, a prophet, a Bible writer, a major prophet, actually, he's one of the major prophets in that big book he's written, he's honest and guarded at the same time, and he says, oh, Lord God, you know. I don't really know what your plans are, but you know. I'm not so sure the question is a, is, is, to Ezekiel is, is a question of God's ability, but rather of Ezekiel's faith. Ezekiel, do you really believe I can fix all this? Not just help these dead bones live, but, 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 but do you really think that, that I can restore the nation? Do you really think in general I can raise the dead? You see, loved ones, I know that this may not make sense to you, but to come to the place where you are confronted with the fact that there's something in your life that you can't do, but only God can do, that is actually the place of faith and trust. But also the place of faith and trust is to say to the Lord, Lord, I don't like this situation. But oddly enough, Lord, I'm asking you to help us to learn the lesson first before you bring us back and we forget. I said earlier that that God in his grace often does the unexpected. He answers a ton of people's prayers. You say, how do you know that? Well, just keep track of the stuff you were praying for a year ago, six months ago. It's already been fixed. The problem is, is that God fixes our problems for us. God does the unexpected for us, but we are so quick to forget, we're already on to the next crisis. We're already on to the next problem. Verse four, he says, again, he, God said to me, prophesy. Now, this word has all kinds of different commotions surrounding it. it. It can be predicting the future. There's part of that going on here. Also, sometimes you see in the word of God, prophecy means, uh, let's call it this, a, a declaration inspired by God. Let me tell you something. 
most husbands I know who have godly wives know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, I always say to my wife, when I see her, she wakes up in the morning and she reads her Bible and she prays, and I always say, ain't nothing cuter than a woman with an open Bible spending time with the Lord. Ain't nothing cuter. And then she'll come downstairs and she'll say, you know, I was praying about something this morning and I just wanted to talk to you about something, and I'm like, I'm out of here, babe, <laughs> right? Because I know that, that a declaration inspired by God is about to come. I'm thinking, is that the doorbell? Really? I, I, oh, I, I got I to gotta text somebody, somebody, return some phone call. And so he says, prophesy, declare what I'm telling you to these bones and say to them, so he says, you talk to the bones. <laughs> that would be a weird sight, wouldn't it? Although, you know, at funerals, it's very common to hear people talking to the deceased. So say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> Interesting. To the dead people, he says, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews or tendons on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you, these resurrected people, shall know that I am the Lord. Do you know this is one of the reasons that God rose Jesus from the dead? To show that again, he was, he was, we've said this many times before, that, that he was satisfied for Jesus' payment for our sins. So if God is Lord over death, he's also Lord over sin. Also, to show us that if God could raise him from the dead, that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is who he says he is, and can keep the promise to his people to raise them from the dead. So the Lord says to Ezekiel, preach to the dead. Pardon me just for a second, but every pastor knows what that feels like on some Sunday mornings. <laughs> you're up there talking and you're going, God, who's dead, me or them? And God's like, both. <laughs> and, and now, in this day and age, it really seems like it. I'm looking around and <laughs> I feel like I'm preaching to the bones. <laughs> but it's okay. The, the idea is we're supposed to get is that these bones are not just dry, they are very dry. These people are not just dead, they are very dead. And they need God's word to be spoken to them. The problem is very similar to what we see in the creation account in Genesis 2. It's not a science book, you scientists, it's just recording history. And because a body, God gave them a body, but a body is no good if it lacks breath. Specifically, if it lacks the breath of God. But to the English reader, there is something that is very easily missed, and that is the Hebrew word ruah, or as my Jewish friends might say, ruach. In verse 1 and 14, that word ruah is translated spirit. 
in verse six, 5, 6, 8, and 9, it is translated breath. In verse 9, it is translated wind or winds. It's all the same word. And remember, when God repeats himself over and over in a passage, we want to pay careful attention. In fact, it can also mean speech, or it can also mean word. So when we say the word of God, we're actually talking about the breath of God. That's why the word of God is so important. Jesus preached and spoke the word of God, and things happen. Why? Because the breath of God, the breath of the Lord was going forth. In the New Testament, it's often translated with the Greek word pneuma, and the idea is, the word is the wind or the spirit or the breath of God that is in motion. John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, one of the premier Bible teachers of Israel of his day. It's kind of a funny conversation if you want to read it. He said, you don't know this stuff and you're the, you're, the, you're, you're the teacher, you're the professor? Jesus really teaches him a thing or two. He says this, John 3, 8, the wind blows, Jesus talking, the wind blows where it wishes. And you can hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. Let's just stop there for a second. You can't see it, but you can see its effect. That is one of the great joys of being a pastor. People come into our church, and they are a hot mess. They're a hot mess. Drugs, alcohol, gambling, cheating, indifference to God, God-haters, whatever. And they sit for weeks and months, and the word of the Lord goes forward, the breath of God goes out from the pulpit, and they begin to change. We can't see it, but we can see the effects of it. And before they know it, they're different, and they'll tell you, I didn't really do anything. It's just like God's word had this power. That's what he's telling Ezekiel. That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus 600 years later. So Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. And then he adds this, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now you say, why is that so important, born of the Spirit? Because believe it or not, the Scriptures teach Jesus taught, the apostles taught, that we are all born spiritually dead. And we need to be born of the Spirit. Like these bones, like these bodies, we need the breath of God to be blown into us to bring us to spiritual life. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, the Apostle Paul said to the church people, the believers in Ephesus, and you who made, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
you, you know, what you say, what's a trespass? You know when the sign says do not trespass? Like you, had, you, did, you didn't want to go down that road at all until the sign said do not trespass. Now you're like, hmm, I wonder what's down there. God tells us no, and we do it. So here in Ezekiel, we see the ministry of what we call the word, the word of God, and the spirit, the spirit of God. Verse four, he says, they will hear the word of the Lord, these bones. And in verse five, he says, I will cause breath to enter you, he says to the bones. In verse 14, he says, gonna say to them, I will put my spirit in you. If you are not a follower of Jesus, this is how resurrection happens. You hear the word of the Lord. You hear the good news. The good news is what? The bad news is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We compare ourselves to other people, but the comparison is to God. But God in his great love sent his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life in your place, lived a perfect life in my place, died on the cross in your place and in my place for our sins, and rose from the dead to prove that he could even beat sin and death. And God says that if you're willing to believe that simple message, to respond in faith and trust, to be willing to turn from the way you're living your own self-directed life to living for God, it doesn't mean you have to go out and change jobs or become a pastor or anything like that, and put your trust in Jesus instead of yourself, God will put his spirit in you. Verse 7, Ezekiel tells us, So I prophesied as I was commanded. It's kind of a funny thing. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling. It's like the stuff you could hear. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews or the tendons and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered over them, but there was no breath in them. Also he, the Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesy as he commanded. Second time he says, I did what I was told to do. And breath came into them and they lived and they stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. See, God didn't raise them up just to be the same. God doesn't breathe breath into us just to be the same. There's much greater things that he has for us. So having spoken to the bones, Ezekiel getting a word for people, saw that their bones, their bodies were there, but they remained spiritually dead. So Ezekiel says to the Lord, really he prays in verse eight, he says, Lord, there's no breath in them. There's no spirit, there's no life. There's a lot of that going around. But you're like, but they're Israelites, they're, they're the people of God. Sadly, they're dead church people. And I think more than anything in our own church, people have come here and they, they've said to me, I, I realized that I was attending church, 
but I was a dead church person because I was never really confronted with the fact that I needed the Spirit of God. And then what does God do? God does a work of revival. He revives these people. He breathes life into these people. And did you notice all we are supposed to do is what Ezekiel did, do what God tells us to do. Just obey his commands and directions. That is my hope now, my friends, that we would not get in the way of any revival that the Lord brings to our land. That we would see that revival, both personal and amongst our nation and our communities where we live in, is a work of the Holy Spirit that happens as we share the word of God with people and we pray and we realize that the Spirit brings life. That we realize that only the Holy Spirit can bring spiritual life. In our desperate times, our cry must be desperate for people to hear the word of the Lord and for God's breath to be poured out on all of us. Verse 11, we sort of get the interpretation of what's going on. Remember, with a, we said it already, with apocalyptic visions, we look for the main meaning, not every detail. Verse 11, then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. That's what they represent, God's people. They indeed say, and oh man, just feel the pain of this. Feel the, it's like we read our Bible, it's like, feel the pain. They indeed say, our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. Some versions say, our hope is gone. And we ourselves are cut off. They're lost. They don't know what's going on. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. I will bring you home. Verse 13, Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from the graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Right here, Ezekiel, in the midst of the devastation that he sees, is given a vision of hope to share with people, even us, 2,600 years later, this vision of hope to share with people who have no hope, who are wondering, will I ever get my job back? Will this, thing, this, this health thing ever stop? Will things ever be the same? Will we ever recover? 
And people are saying on the television and the news outlets, yes, we will, but it will be different. Friends, maybe it will be better. Maybe that's what God is doing. And the Lord says, not only will you recover, but I will raise from the dead my people who put their faith and their trust and their hope in me. This is an Old Testament description of the rebirth of the nation. We just talked about this this past Wednesday in Psalm 126 where we looked at people who were down there and had come back and they were longing for better days. This is an Old Testament description of what it means to be saved by God's grace. There was nothing they did. God didn't say, well, i got to do A, B, C, and I'll, I'll do it. Nope, God just shows up and he says, listen, I'm going to breathe life back into my people. This doesn't happen. When nations are toppled, they don't come back. But yet these people came back. One day, they're just there and God's, the people are running around going, the king said we can go back. We can go back. And they're saved by grace, by the Spirit of God, through the power of his word. For a hopeless people, in the same way he raised the bones, this was a vision of the rescuing God who has come back and come to his wayward people. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you don't know why you're watching. You're thinking, okay, it's the holiday. I got to watch. Maybe you're wayward. And today, God is saying that dryness you feel on the inside, that emptiness you feel on the inside, that's what life is like apart from me. And today, He invites you to come to Him. While the concept of sin and waywardness is not here, you're like, you're saying this, but it's not here, that's actually what chapters 4 through 24 were about. <laughs> that's why I gave you all that background. The good news is those who are willing to turn from their selfish ways, when you talk with most people about being sinful, they're like, I'm not a sinner. You talk about people about being selfish, that's a little bit more resonating. But when people turn from their selfish ways to trusting God and his ways, they receive a promise. A promise, forgiveness of sins, and resurrection. Verse 14 is both breath-giving and breathtaking, and so filled with hope. He says, I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live. You know, this week is hard. A lot of people in our area are dying. People in our congregation have lost parents. But God says this to his people. To my people, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live. Do you know what that means? That means that the grave is going to lose. It may seem final, but it's not. 
God says, in your hopelessness, I will extend my hand to you and I will lift you up out of the grave to a new life. 600 years later, we come to the New Testament. Jesus told the apostles that he would die on the cross. Jesus said, like the soldiers of Ezekiel, I will be slain. They will be slain as a nation for their sin, because of their sin, because of their pride and their arrogance. Jesus says, I will be slain for your sin. And Jesus told the apostles that he would rise from the dead by the power of God. Yet after the cross, they were still without hope. Then on that first Easter morning, Jesus rose from the dead and the risen Christ came and visited them. The first Easter showed us God's power over death and that Jesus keeps his promises. He said he would rise from the dead and he said he would rise from the dead anybody who puts their trust in him. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, rose from the dead in a, in a physical body, a glorified body. God promises the same certainty for all who will put their trust in him. John 6, 63, Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. What's different now is that when you trust Jesus now, you receive the Holy Spirit now and the promise of a resurrected body in the life to come. 2 Corinthians 5.8, the Apostle Paul says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Another version says to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Oh yes, initially, your body will go into that grave, but you won't be with it, loved ones. You will be with the Lord. Romans 8, 11, the Apostle Paul says this, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You must have the spirit to be able to, to be raised from the dead and to live in heaven. 1 John 5, 12 through 13, the apostle John says, he who has the son has life, that means eternal life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life, does not have eternal life in heaven with God. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. Of God. God wants you and I to be confident that we have eternal life, not because of what we have done, but because what Jesus has done for us. Now, I know the pushback from some people, and this was my pushback for a lot of years, but I'm a good person. 
Now, first off, I'm never saying that I was a good person. I knew I wasn't, but usually works with a lot of religious types. I'm a good person. Let me ask you this, friend. Are you depending upon yourself to raise yourself from the dead? I mean, let's be honest. Some days you can't even find your car keys. And you're depending upon yourself. You didn't get yourself into this world. And you and I can't get ourselves out of this world. Or let me ask you this. Do you want life to be just the same as it was before? Or do you want it to be better having the confidence to know that the enemy of death is defeated? Oh, death, where is thy sting, the Bible says. I hope you see that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins, me too, and he rose from the dead and that shows us that Jesus is the way to resurrected life. Jesus is the one and only hope of Easter. I pray that the Lord gives you a vision that neither sin nor rebellion nor sickness, not even death, can stop the power of God for those who will put their trust in Jesus. God will save your soul so the world will know. The people around you will know. I know life is hard right now. I know it's really hard right now. I know there's a lot of unknowns. I know there's a lot of inconveniences. I know there's a lot of uncertainty in the future. And it's easy spiritually, no matter what kind of fake face you put on, it's easy in those times to feel like dry bones. Not just like dry bones, like very dry bones. But I pray the Lord breathes into you a vision of hope. That the Lord restores. That Jesus will receive you and resurrect you if you're willing to turn to him and put your trust in him. And that God, the living God, raises the dead because for his children, he is the God of the living. May God bless you on this Easter day. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we thank you.